You are listening to The Sauna Show, the podcast that explores new ways to combat modern life and reclaim your health and vitality. My name is Sebastian Miao, and I'm the CEO of Clearlight Saunas International and a passionate entrepreneur and health enthusiast. I'm sitting down with scientists, holistic health practitioners, and change makers in the wellness space to talk about all things detox, health, and happiness. Hi, everyone. We had Dr. Joy Hussein joining us on the sauna show today, and it was an amazing conversation. And it was really topical because it was about uh, sauna experience and what you do in the sauna and how much, how much you sweat and what does that mean and, and so on. So it was a really, really specific conversation around saunas that Joy offered us. She did a, a global survey to determine the impact of saunas on a range of different um, health um, health benefits and, and markers and Johannes you, you have uh, met Joy as well she's she's a really knowledgeable person when it comes to saunas yeah I think exactly what strikes me about her is that she's obviously an MD so she's you know a US trained doctor but now she actually really emerges herself into research uh, and research obviously around saunas and you know what saunas can do for your health we all know that there's a long-term study that was that came out last year in Finland where They were looking at sort of the reduced mortality rate um, for people that, you know, have been using the sauna, say, three to seven times a week. And, you know, the results were, um, you know, amazing, uh, where the risk of all cause mortality went up, you know, reduced actually was reduced uh, by up to 30%. Uh, and it really shows that saunas uh, and, you know, infrared saunas as well and dry heat saunas, uh, all types of, you know, saunas and regular sweating can really play a major role in, in, in disease prevention and in, in supporting a healthy lifestyle. And Joe, obviously being a doctor, but also being a researcher, really dives deep into, you know, analyzing the sweat, you know, what sort of toxins are being expelled, uh, you know, when you actually use the sauna, what sort of a health or a disease markers are, are, you know, sort of being triggered, increased or reduced actually when you take a sauna. And I think There is, you know, there is a fundamental need for really understanding how a sauna can actually benefit and what exactly happens on a, on, on a sort of metabolic level. And I'm absolutely thrilled that we have personally met Joy because she is really at the forefront of this research. Um, you know, she's based in Brisbane um, and, you know, obviously is an active researcher around this topic. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see a few papers from her coming out in the next few years, because she is not only knowledgeable, but she's so passionate about this topic. Like she really gives you that glow when you talk about saunas, uh, which is, you know, the same for us, obviously. So it's absolutely amazing. All right. With, with further ado, here's the interview with Dr. Joy Hussein. So welcome on the show. Dr. <laughs> Dr. Joy Hussein, so so excited to have you here because you have been in the field of saunas and infrared saunas for many, many years, right? Well, since starting my PhD in 2013, yes. Wow. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yes. Anything to get the sauna word out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. And how on earth did you get into saunas as a research topic? Well, uh, it started, I first became interested uh, when I had a position working as a doctor in Alaska, wow. actually. And growing up, I always had troubles with circulation in my hands mm -hmm. and my feet. And so when I took this posting in Alaska, I thought, oh no, you know, how am I going to survive? <laughs> uh, but as I was working there, um, saunas are part of the culture there. Everyone saw it, especially in the wintertime. Yeah. And so my husband and I at the time, uh, we started sauna bathing with people and then we went on to build our own sauna mm -hmm. and um, at the time I just did it socially I didn't really think too much about the health 
aspects of it until we moved back to Australia. And then we lived a number of years with Madison. Mm. And I started to notice my troubles with my circulation returned. Something called Raynaud's phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But then, once uh, we built a sauna in Melbourne mm-hmm. and then started regularly sauna bathing again, again, it disappeared. Wow. So that was very potent for me to think, wow, what's going on with this sauna bathing? Yeah. And then it made me, it started to enlighten uh, and read more about it and realize there wasn't a lot of research. This yes. is, you know, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So it got me very interested. And then that's when I met Mark Cohen, Professor Mark Cohen at RMIT and, and yeah, I actually just wanted to do a little masters mm-hmm. with them on sauna bathing, but he goes, oh, we need to do a PhD on this, you know, <laughs> sauna bathing's big. Yeah, yeah. So that's what started me on my, uh, my thesis project of looking at the health benefits of sauna bathing as well as sweating. So that's, I'm looking at sauna bathing through that lens of sweating. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So you would include other things that make you sweat as well, like, I don't know, is it exercising or...? Well, no, no. My focus is looking at sweat analysis during the sauna as well as the cardiovascular effects. Wow. But I'm definitely not losing sight of, of sweat. Sweat's a fascinating <laughs> biofluid. <laughs> and it's so understudied. And it's exploding right now in terms of uh, potentially for use of medical in the medical system. So. Watch this sweaty space because sweat <laughs> is, I think, has the potential to take the place of blood as well as, you know, we, we use a lot of blood, urine, mm-hmm. saliva less so, but I think sweat is moving in on that scene. There's a lot of research going on. Yeah, it's amazing. And so would you, an analysis, analysis of sweat, is that something that takes a long time? Like, do we have to uh, evaporate the whole sweat before we know anything? Or is that something that can be done quite quite quickly? That's a great question. Um, because when you think about sweating, there's the sweat that remains on our skin, but sweat, our body is designed to evaporate that sweat. So right now, there are a lot of startup companies looking at how to capture sweat best. And it, it means capturing the air around sweat as well, because already many of the metabolites are becoming aerosolized. And in fact, I think a lot of communications go on in sweating that we just haven't been able to elucidate yet. Like, for example, there's been a fascinating study of handshaking. Yeah. That when you videotape people handshaking, we often smell our hands. No. <laughs> and considering <laughs> a lot of us sweat on our hands, yeah. we could be smelling what connections. And then also think about women who live together. Yes. Often start menstruating yes. uh, in sync. Mm-hmm. And I think it has to do with pheromones communicating through sweat. I mean, ah, so, so the pheromones can actually be dis- Distributed throughout the room quite well with, with sweat. Yeah, why, of course. Why not? Yeah. We don't why would you, yes. Uh-huh. But that is my suspicion. Yes, I think there's a lot more aerosolized sweat communications going on than we know yet. Wow, how exciting. So, and there's a lot of startup companies, especially here in Australia, too, mm. that are working on capturing how best to capture sweat yeah. and how to analyze everything that's in it. Interesting. So, um, are you saying, what do you think when, when thinking about sweat? So, are there quite a few elements that actually evaporate, and that's why we want to capture that all? If you don't, you know, it's probably not just 
because we want to quantify exactly how, how much we sweat and therefore we capture the air around it. There's also, are there some elements that actually evaporate that are not water? Definitely. Huh? Oh yeah, no, no, water, that's what's fascinating, <laughs> is in these last seven years, there's much more in sweat than we ever thought. We used to, yes, it is 99% water. Yeah. And that's because our major sweat gland, which there's really about three or four different types of sweat glands, but the major one, an eccrine sweat gland, makes it produces a kind of water base so 99 percent water uh -huh. but there are these others the apocrine gland which is around our genitals and underneath our arms yes. they produce a much more lipid rich more fat based uh, and that's what gives your if you've ever been in a sauna or exercised long term a longer duration that's how your sweat can get kind of creamy mm -hmm. well that's because there's a more lipid there's lipids coming out uh, or fat based. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, there's very few ways for us to get rid of uh, lipid sources of, quote, toxins. Yes. Because, you know, most of the eccrine sweat is water based, but these other glands mm -hmm. that, that we don't completely understand the stimulation huh. make more of a fat based or yeah. lipid based. So, would you agree that what we often think um, when we think about this oily sweat? that because toxins are based, they are often going through the, into, into the fat of an animal and a human, uh -huh. that, would, that would also mean that that's the area of the body that then gets sweated out, or is there not, not such strong correlation that some people can believe? Yeah, this is a very controversial subject. And one of the problems with the quote detox yes. theory uh -huh. of, of sweating and of um, sauna bathing is that when scientists talk about detox mm -hmm. and when lay people talk about detox, I think we're talking about two different things. Okay. Uh, you know, when a lay person says, oh, yes, I feel cleansed and, and has this imaginings of clearing things out, well, from a scientist's point of view, our detox organs are our liver and kidneys primarily. And yes, the skin is a detox organ, but it's a very tiny uh, proportion of what actually happens. So let's say even fat-soluble things we're much more likely to, to produce more urine during that sweating episode than we are actual sweat. And so the amounts that are in urine that are filtered through the kidneys and the, and the liver beforehand, those are, are much more, they play a much greater role. So yes, there is this idea that maybe if you sweat regularly over long periods of time, those small amounts accumulate into mm -hmm. bigger amounts. But, that's still a big area of research. So are we sweating internally as well then? Is that what you like, Not necessarily, no. but we are mobilizing different toxicants mm -hmm. from the, you know, from our tissues, mm -hmm. the fat, into the bloodstream, and that gets filtered through the liver and then gets filtered through our kidneys, which produces urine. So there's many the the highways for toxicants to go is much, are much bigger <laughs> through yeah. the, the liver and the kidneys yeah. than they are through the skin. But there is this small amount. There is some evidence suggesting that yes, certain heavy metals, certain mm -hmm. plastic-based molecules are coming out in our sweat. No question of it. BPA is a big one that gets talked about a lot. Yes, and you can see that in the sweat samples? You can. Well, it's been a little bit inconsistent, but yes, yes there's been small studies. That's one of the problems with both sauna and sweat science right now, and said really a lot of these studies are so, you know, less than 10 people. Hmm. And it's hard to generalize yeah, things when it's that small. Yeah, it's yeah. a small sample. So, but it takes, you know, it takes big funding to be able to run these big randomized controlled trials that 
are the game changers when it comes to um, coming up with medical advice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So when you talk about saunas and the benefits of it, there, there would be many benefits, and I'm sure we would touch base on touch, touch on that. But what you're talking about is mobilizing of toxins. Um, and why didn't you say that sort of thing? Well, look, I, I actually that's what well, I've just recently did a big global sauna survey where I asked people mm -hmm. why do they sauna? Yeah. And what came out of that is detox got talked about a lot, but mm -hmm. the top reasons really were relaxation. That's the big one, and stress reduction. Mm -hmm and pain relief. Mm. So those were the one, that was really what came up. That's why I think lay people are using the sauna according to my little snapshot. Mm -hmm. um, however, that's not where the research has been on sauna bathing. Most of the research has been around the cardiovascular benefits. Okay. And uh, really this is time to mention um, Yari Lockinen, who's really spearheaded a lot of the sauna research out of Finland. Mm -hmm. And he did these amazing long-term um, prospective cohort studies, we call them, where he took a, a group of people, and, and he, it was both men and women, and he basically snapshotted how much they sonobate, because in Finland, everyone sonobates, <laughs> and divided them up into groups, you know, yeah. those who sonobate less, or one time a week compared to two to three times a week compared to over four times a week. And what, and he followed them over 20 years, mm -hmm. which is a really, that's a very strong study, but it's yes. what we call an epidemiological study. So it, it makes associations, but doesn't tell you cause and effect. But what he found and what he and his team found has been amazing. I mean, there's less cardiovascular deaths, mm -hmm. less cardiovascular events, less pneumonia, less um, asthma, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, less um, fewer strokes when you sauna bathe regularly. And this is mostly when you do over four times a week, so yes. four more times a week. So something's going on there, but the trouble is it's all in one place that all these studies are happening. We need to start to <laughs> get multi-center trials that, that try and test these hypotheses in other places. Yeah. Japan's been another area that's done a lot of mostly infrared yeah, sauna studies. It, yeah, I think the origin of uh, infrared saunas is you know, the 1970s Japan, yeah. where they figured out that, you know, the resonant frequency that it creates uh, with water molecules has certain benefits to the body, right? I don't know how sophisticated back then that was, but that's certainly the origin that we, we know of in first Yeah, and that makes sense. And there's a researcher who's been researching saunas for about 20 years there. I mean, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, T-E-I. Anyway, he has shown, even in really progressed diseased cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. patients who have say congestive heart failure that even just as few as two weeks of regular daily sauna bathing mm -hmm. in an infrared sauna really brings down all the markers of heart failure yeah, right i think what what i didn't realize for quite a while it would be great if you could talk to me about that how important is heart health and how much of an issue is it in the world <laughs> well it's huge, no question. I mean, it's the, probably the number one killer in first world countries right now. Although cancer and, and heart disease are, are neck to neck. Yeah. Um, but it, it ends our growing obesity problem. And again, not just first world countries, it's starting to spread to many different countries, uh, is, is creating 
a burden on the health system that does need to look outside our usual boxes of just medications or prescribing exercise that a lot of people can't really do. Yes. So, so part of the problem with just thinking really this through the heart failure, yeah? so let's say, you know, I'm, I'm quite obese, that puts pressure on just pumping the blood around, like there's a lot of weight that I'm carrying constantly with me around and probably it also reduces um, how fast the blood gets recycled and all the rest of it. And then what happens? The, the, the heart just hacks, hacks in and just stops. Again, you're asking some difficult, interesting questions. <laughs> well, you know, questions. I always wonder, you know, everyone says like, you know, it's big and I know people that have died from it or had a heart failure and, you know, and afterwards they weren't the same and all the rest of it. But I always wonder, so what exactly happens and how do I know whether this happens to me and what can I do about it and so on? Yeah. You know what? You don't really know. That's, oh, a, yeah. I, I asked myself <laughs> this question about two years ago, starting to look about, yeah, what does cause obesity and what is the issue? And we're still yeah. finding it out about, we're still trying to dissect what mm -hmm. are the different, my suspicion is it's on a more microscopic level than you're thinking. We like to all think in physical amounts yes. of what's happening to, but actually it has to do with the hormones. I mean, the fat we end up putting, accumulating, yes. usually around the midriff area, yes, starts to secrete its mm -hmm. own hormones. It's almost like it becomes a separate organ. No, don't tell me that. And yes. yeah, so that's why losing weight is one of the first things we tell people. It's easy to say that how you accomplish losing weight mm -hmm. is a whole different story. But there's a lot going on in the, in the losing weight community. I mean, I don't know if you've heard about the time-restricted eating, yes. intermittent fasting. Yes. Um, there's a lot going on and that's, I have to say, in my own patient population, that's the only way I've seen people actually lose weight because trying to go on diets, there's no one diet that fits all and there's no one diet that people can stick to. So you have to work with what people are already eating and restrict their caloric intake in different ways and creative ways or restrict when they're eating. Yeah. And I've been see I've had quite a few successes of people who mix and match yeah. those different intermittent mm -hmm. fasting with low caloric times and are getting some good results. Um, so that's that's answers part of your question, but it didn't answer <laughs> the full question because, like I said, we're we're, we're still trying to figure out. I, I think the underlying cause yeah. could be disrupted glucose metabolism, right. um, and that's where when we eat, we all have different responses to, and I, I think it's our gut microbiome that's running all of this. And there, our gut microbiome is doing like a second digestion for us that we haven't really acknowledged enough. And that's, now it brings me back to, that's one of the clinical trials I'd love to do around sauna bathing, is actually check people's gut microbiome yes. before maybe a three month intensive sauna. Mm -hmm. So maybe they do it three times a week or four times a week for three months and then check their their stool microbiome diversity after that. These similar type um, studies have been done around exercise and there's huge changes that go on. And I'd love to see if the changes around regular sauna bathing mm -hmm. might be similar to the effects that we see. So what would be your theory of what would happen? Is it something about the nervous system calming down once a day, at least in a sauna, that changes the, the microbe, the, the gut flora, or would you think more about the heat um, leaves some alive and the not so beneficial ones die off? The chicken and the egg, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think 
perhaps when you eat uh, or when you're exposed to the heat, it changes the ratio of micro of the of the microbes you have that changes the metabolites they make, which are packaged and used as our neurotransmitters. That's one theory. These are all theories. Yeah, so sure. We're in the evidence-free zone right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, another theory is that maybe it's not just the heat. Maybe it's the sweating. Mm. Although I'm suspecting heat's got to be a big play yeah. there too. Yeah. Um, the other thing is maybe uh, there's maybe it has who knows maybe the heat is changing uh, maybe not necessarily the microbes directly but changing as you said our autonomic nervous responses and things that we use to measure that are things like heart rate variability right now mm-hmm. or arterial stiffness or arterial elasticity measures. Maybe the heat is changing those dynamics. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know. I mean, this, we're still looking into all this, but certainly sauna bathing and exercise regular yeah. do change those factors. Yeah. That's been, that's piling up the evidence around yeah. that. So even if we don't know exactly how it works, we can certainly see there is a tendency that if we do those two things, maybe even those two things together, that is really the thing for the Could be. Again, we're, we're starting <laughs> to look at that. And the other thing is timing. I mean, yeah. a lot of our studies right now are after one single session. Whereas really, what I'm interested mm-hmm. in, if we're going to adopt sauna bathing as a lifestyle tool, yeah. it's not just running the one marathon of a sauna. It's got to be regular sauna yeah. bathing. And that takes time. And like I said, it takes also a lot of funding to be able to study people over long periods of time that are sauna bathing regularly. But I'll tell you what, it's easier to get people to sauna bathing regularly than it is for them to intensively exercise regularly. So that's where I think sauna is something we should be reaching for, or yeah. at least studying further. Yeah, and, and I have heard people asking for, you know, I think Dr. Gluckner at the, the Wellness Summit, Global Wellness Summit said, you know, every, every house should have a, a sauna, an infrared sauna in there, because we can see the benefits really clearly even though we can't explain them all, all and i see in terms of how you know we live and and breathe it's much easier just to sit in a in a hot room in a, a quite comfortable temperature really you know it doesn't have to be too hot versus making yourself an exercise you know there's some types that can easily do another not but just sitting in a nice warm cozy place is certainly the easier thing to comply to definitely but I would probably argue with you about okay. just infrared. I think, you know, really when we're talking about sauna, yeah. especially dry sauna bathing, mm-hmm. we're talking about heat that can come in packaged in many different forms. So I think, you know, the more traditional finished style sauna yeah. has many different heat sources. It can be an electric heater, it can be a wood burning fire, mm-hmm. it can be a gas. I, I had a gas sauna wow. actually in Alaska. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I loved hearing the sound of the pop every time I had to light it, but I did enjoy the heat. It was a cleaner heat, too, than, than say, if you had a wood-burning sauna, because a lot of our friends had wood-burning saunas. So I, I felt the air I was breathing was cleaner. And that's a big, you know, this is, again, stuff that we're still looking into. You know, what comes off our beautiful cedar? It smells wonderful, but I wonder if it sometimes triggers some sort yeah. of immune reactions in some yeah. people. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, being in the industry, we, we have, we found a wood that is not allergenic. Uh, sorry. Uh, allergenic, is that the word? Allergenic, yeah. Allergenic, allergenic. Yes, which is yeah. best wood, you know, so, so it's a really, really, I guess, in a, in a sense, uh, 
smell smell is wood really hard and you know doesn't give anything off and we found that people who are hypersensitive to all sorts of things that that would work for them so yeah you have a point and we always say look you know there's an additional benefit when you see them that's aromatherapy but it could go also the other way if you say like well you know see the aromatherapy might not be always the best thing for you I was going to say, I've only seen a few very tiny studies even asking some mm. of these questions. So again, we're in this evidence-free zone, but yes. yeah. But one of the things, I wanted to go back to my mm. sauna survey, the global sauna yes. survey. One of the things that surprised me were the adverse effects. So I was asking people about what did they notice that, that bothered them. Yeah. And you know, the top ones were not surprising. Um, dizziness, uh, headache. Coming from, from using swans? Yeah, uh -huh. but you know, these are adverse effects that they had uh -huh. experienced before. Yeah. And that makes sense when you think about the physiological changes that are happening. Sure, if you go in a bit dehydrated, mm -hmm. you're much more likely to drop your blood pressure quite a bit. And mm -hmm. that can, when your blood pressure drops, can make you feel a bit dizzy. So I wasn't surprised by that. But I was surprised by some of the number four, number five, number six reasons. And one of them was eye irritation. That really, I didn't realize so many people developed eye irritation. So that's why I've started to think about like, what kinds of things. Maybe it's the not water. the heat. You think? Maybe it's the heat. Maybe mm. it's sweat getting into your eyes yeah. because sweat it often is quite irritative. Some of the things that are in sweat weren't mm. meant to get back into our eyes. So, and sweat content is different than tear content, and tears are another source of interesting biofluid knowledge, you know, that's, that's, that there are startups working on glasses that collect tears and analyze lights in it. So wow. there's a lot of really cool stuff going on mm -hmm. around, you know, we're, we're looking at the body completely differently. There's a revolution going on, no question of it. Mm -hmm. And especially in the laboratory field, we have ways of analyzing for all different molecules that we didn't have 10 years ago. Yeah. And that's what makes it difficult comparing studies that were done you know, some of the first sauna studies that mm -hmm. were done 10, 20 years ago, we didn't have those same lab, the same strong laboratory skills that we do now. Mm -hmm. So, What do you see in sweat? Like, what are the molecules that you, you find, which is probably what, what's in the body and what we might not Well, yeah, a lot of cytokines, so immune mediators. These are not things that we would have first guessed. But immune mediate glucose, that's mm -hmm. it. In fact, there is there's a small study that hasn't been well reproduced, mm. but that showed that this the glucose that's in your sweat can be loosely correlated to the glucose levels that's in your um, bloodstream, which is fascinating if they can make that work. We sweat in sugar. Yeah, we sweat sugar. <laughs> we sweat sugar. We sweat salt. We know that we taste okay, it. Okay, yeah, know? I get that. And yeah. a lot of other electrolytes like potassium, um, zinc, and and actually, you're bringing up a really interesting point is especially when you sauna so regularly, mm. could you be depleting yourself? Yeah, I was just going to ask that. And we don't know. I mean, we haven't done the studies to check that. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would argue that we have a much smarter body that I think our microbes adjust. So for example, microbes are unleashing a lot of these electrolytes from our foods. Mm. And I think they regulate how much of that gets released. So I think if we have lots of heat exposure, yeah. again, this is all theorizing. Yeah, yeah. But I think what's happening is they respond and say, oh, no, more zinc because mm -hmm. she's sweating out all that zinc so yes. so i this is still an area of huge mm -hmm. research we just don't know yeah so it might be a good idea to actually remineralize the body in one way or another yes maybe especially if you notice depletion symptoms 
afterwards. Yeah. So it depends. Something that I heard in one of our guests was talking about minerals and um, saying, look, you know, the body would utilize whatever comes their way if they don't, they don't have exactly what they need. So um, mercury will not come into your body easily and will be utilized or put into the body if you have, let's say for argument's sake, maybe it's zinc or iron available. But if that's not available, the next best is actually mercury. As as it's you know. In my understanding, that, that can be the case with zinc and copper. Mm. So, <laughs> so yes, like it, when, when you're not having enough zinc yes. uh, to meet your needs, that often copper will uh, fill that space. Okay. And when we live in a place, well, in, like in this part of Queensland, yeah. we have a lot of copper in our water and our soil. So, yes, copper tends to be the next. Yes. But, but then again, this is... It's much more complicated than mm. I think just saying that. I think there, uh, if anything, I'm very awestruck by, by the, com the complexity of our body. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's after being in the business for over 30 years dealing with humans, but yeah. on, especially on a basic science level, it is, it, we are we're just touching yeah. the surface yeah. of the iceberg. So when, when people talk about detox and they say, look, you know, I have so much, um, I probably absorb quite a bit of plastic through my environment and absorb probably quite a bit of, let's say, lead from, you know, petrol and what have you and, and asbestos from brakes that used to be, and so on. So are those things that you find in, in the sweat? Some well, of them? There is some evidence. Like I said, it's not always reproduced. Mm. But yes, BPA has been found in some studies. Mm. Um, there's a great Canadian researcher Stephen Genuis, mm. who's done a really nice series showing that yes, there can be concentrations of uh, per, uh, the P, PFAS, the per, what is it, perfluoride, the ones that the firefighters get exposed to, oh, okay. um, the alkaline, the perfluoral alkali, okay. um, which can be quite hard on our health system. There's elements of that, and actually it's still getting researched yeah. whether it's, we, we don't, there's so much we don't know. Yeah. You know, and it's not just BPA, there's all phthalates. He's done a whole series looking at uh, organophosphate, pesticides. Wow. Um, so there's elements of that in there. Are they in enough quantity to be significant for the quote detox you're talking about? We don't know yet. So could we assume that if we wouldn't, if we sweat more, mm -hmm. then more of these elements leave our body than if we wouldn't sweat? That's some of the questions I'm trying to answer right now. I don't know. Yeah, because it's pretty quite hard to really know what's in the body as well, right? Because it's stored, so it's not in our blood as such. So yeah. it's not necessarily a representation if we would measure what's in the blood at the moment, what's coming out of the um, out of the sweat there for you know, whatever the, the balance of that one is, is what we have just taken out. It's not quite like that, huh? Yes, and it's difficult to quantitate how much you sweat. Mm. I mean, it's easy to quantitate how much blood uh, you know, when you collect to measure that or yeah. quantitate urine. Mm. But collecting whole body sweat is <laughs> still a work under progress. Hey, out of interest, so how do you do that? Do you put people into a whole body condom or something like that? Well, I've been experimenting with many different ways, but yeah. actually the way that I've resulted to yeah. you can buy, actually there's sweat collectors that are designed for infants, unfortunately. Because huh. that's our only use of sweat right now in the medical community is using it to test for cystic fibrosis. We look at sweat chloride levels. And it's this little disc 
that gets strapped to, because infants don't sweat very much. Mm. So you have to actually induce it with a chemical. But you know, one of my arguments is, I'm not sure that chemically induced sweat is our true, reflects yes. our true uh -huh. sweat. But that's where all the modeling, the sweat collection came from back in the 1940s. So we're trying to, we're breaking out of that model right now. Mm -hmm. But, um, and I forgot where we were going with it. Oh, in terms of collecting sweat. So I really wanted to use those first, but the amounts you collect are so minuscule yeah. for my needs that I said, oh, I can't use that, and it was very expensive. So instead, I'm using a, a laboratory pipette, actually, a micro pipette. <laughs> and I'm just looking, get collecting the sweat droplets. Again, it's not ideal. It's not, no. it's not holistic enough. I'm missing yeah. the stuff that's already been aerosolized. But at least it gives me a start. And I'll, I'll be looking at um, the Queensland um, Alliance for Environmental Health Sciences will be doing the testing for me to look at organophosphate pesticide amounts. Wow. And what I'm trying to do with the, my latest research is compare infrared sauna mm -hmm. directly with a traditional sauna, mm. directly with exercise, wow. and have a control intervention. Mm. And that's a, that's a real problem with a lot of the research going on around saunas, is that we're not have, including enough control groups. So yeah. without a control group, you can't argue that what's happening is happening because of your intervention. Mm -hmm. You have to say that that isn't happening with an absent intervention. So I have this uh, control intervention where people are just relaxing and I'm doing the same <laughs> thing to them that I do with the other interventions. I see. Yeah, yeah. And when you, what, can, what do we know so far? What the difference uh, for the body is uh, when you go into a say traditional Finnish sauna and infrared sauna, I don't know what else you might be aware of, but are there different um, effects that we see in the body that are quite distinguishedly different? Are you talking about a single session versus multiple <laughs> sessions? <laughs> they're very different works, you know, they're different questions you're asking. Wow, okay. Well, either. Well, so far there haven't been any studies that directly compare, so that's why I'm hoping to, to provide some answers. Yes. So we don't know, but I suspect it's early days for me, so mm. I can't really say I, I haven't analyzed the data yet. But I am amazed how quickly people are sweating inside the infrared. Mm. Um, it's not what I expected compared to the higher temperature finish sauna. Yeah, that, when talking to people that do hypothermia treatments, and um, some of our saunas are used for that, infrared saunas are used for that, and, and what, what, what is found is that the core temperature does increase faster when you are in infrared saunas, which might be related to um, the, the, the heat source and that, the, 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 um, that we try to mimic with the um, frequency of, of the infrared, the frequency of water, so that, that it actually travels through the air, doesn't release its energy there travels all the way through the skin and then warms up the, the body faster and that would be wouldn't be that hard to figure out whether people's core body temperature increases more in one sauna than the other or faster than the other yeah well that's some of the outcome measures i'm looking at now and again okay. it's too early to say mm -hmm. but i think that could be that's one potential mm -hmm. explanation mm -hmm. another is you're closer to your source heating yes. in the infrared sauna i'm using versus mm -hmm. the, the large finished sauna yeah. i'm not so sure the core temperatures are that different though okay but, but again it's yeah. too early for me to conclude anything this mm -hmm. is all conjecture at this point yeah just having a you know look at just the preliminary data yeah but i one of my theories is i want to look at the differences between 
various skin temperatures and the core body temperature. Mm. And actually, our skin temperatures are very different. And, and different in individually. General. Really? As well as, in, so intra-individually and inter-individually. So there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of puzzle pieces in this puzzle. And yeah. I think we're, we're, we've only been looking at a few of them mm. so far. In research, um, artificial intelligence will become really handy to see certain patterns, yeah? And, and, or don't you think? Like, as long as the samples are good and the sensors are good, it could really help to see patterns, or do you think? Or, I'm not sure artificial intelligence, I'm thinking more big data. I mean, we, right. we, we've got now these algorithms that can find patterns when we couldn't before. Mm -hmm. And that's what this new laboratory technology mm -hmm. that I was mentioning before, um, uh, yeah. you know, that's based on mass spectrometry. It's it's a it's it's completely it creates lots of data that needs crunching mm -hmm. and that's why we couldn't do this type of analysis 20 years ago because we didn't have the computer capacity to do it but we do now yeah yeah and that's the same thing with the genetic revolutions going on you know the, and the epigenetic you know we we have there are so many genes mm -hmm. in our body that are turning off and turning on. And it boggles the mind, but if you can start to collect it and be systematic with big data, you can start to see patterns. Yeah. So, so yes, that's where I think big data, yes. Oh, that's exciting. So you would, would take the DNA sample of people before they use uh, heat therapy of, of some sort and see whether if you have a big enough sample, people, people sample, um, you might see a correlation that always one gene uh, changes, changes on and off when they use that, that's frequently every four, Fascinating question. It's not the DNA. Our DNA doesn't change. We're born with our DNA. But it's the epigenetic, the, the expression, we call it gene expression that changes. And there actually has been a Saudi Arabian study. I just found this out when I went to uh, the International Sauna Congress last year. There was a Danish researcher who presented, he was a chemometrics expert, so he's a big data IT person, who uh, he presented his results showing which genes turn on and off in targeted, so looking at gene arrays, microarrays, so that's looking at certain genes that we know have effects on metabolism and things. And he demonstrated that with uh, going into the sauna, that yes, there was a pattern of certain genes turning on, certain genes turning off that matches, quote, stress. But, you know, that's where we think of it as a good stress, like exercise. Mm -hmm. Now, he hasn't been able to compare that directly to exercise yet, but that's some future work that would be fascinating to see if similar genes turn on and off. Genes that are associated maybe with, quote, heat shock proteins, mm, which I know we've yeah. talked about. Yeah, you know, heat shock proteins get turned on and off by all kinds of stressors. You know, not just heat, not just exercise. No. You know, that huh? certain, certain emotional stress can turn on heat shock proteins. So, this is all early days. It's a, it's a whole other environment we're, we're looking into. But yeah, there's, there's some chance. But what was fascinating about what he said when I talked to him later, I said, well, should I be taking some blood and checking which genes are turning on and off of my song experience? And he said, I wouldn't, because he said the stress of putting a needle into your arm could be what's causing some of those. That's where you need control. Yes. You know, you can't. So a lot of these changes we're seeing around mm -hmm. sauna might be because the stress okay. of putting a needle into so the test tube should then also give the blood uh, even exactly they, yes you might see the similar <laughs> stresses happening just from having that yeah. and that's the problem with trying to sample blood 
And again, blood, we have to ask ourselves, how do we end up making blood this gold standard sample to reflect our body? I mean, yes, it's the most hidden and it circulates along our body, but my argument is I think we should be developing algorithms with big data that put together not just analyzing mm -hmm. blood, but tears, sweat, um, urine, uh, all the, you know, earwax. Maybe hair or? Hair, mm. possibly. Hair is difficult because there's a lot of contamination issues. Same thing with sweat. Uh -huh. We didn't even talk about that, but, you know, uh, it's, it's soap a, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Like even now with my trial right now, I'm having to tell people don't use deodorant, don't use soap, and it's hard for them. There's a number of the times they came and go, oh, I forgot. <laughs> I was like, well, okay, well, go ahead and I'll just make a note of that, you know, so we'll yeah. see if it makes a difference. Fascinating. So there's, so there's so many different variables right now. I think I understand epigenetics now. So basically, we have DNA, and um, that's different for everyone. But within that gene of inner DNA, that might be not switched on and off. So, so epigenetics is just about on and off. Well, okay. Well, uh, you know what? Let's back up. Okay, so you've got your genes, yes. and that's what you're born with. And mm. say. Uh, people who are identical twins, they actually have the same set of DNA. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, the, the identical versus non-identical yes. twins, whatever. So you have your genes, mm -hmm. but we interact with our environments, and that's what uh, turns on and off the sections of DNA that we actually turn into proteins. And we do that using things called messenger RNA. And uh, so your DNA, in fact, a lot of our DNA, we still don't understand all its uses. Mm. We know the, the sections, the human genome got completely mm. mapped out in 2001. And we know certain, we only know a portion of sections. And we used to call the other portions junk yes, DNA. Yes, I remember. Whereas now we're finding out junk DNA is not junk. It's a lot of regulatory signaling that's mm -hmm. going on in that quote junk DNA. Yep. But basically, You've got uh, messenger RNA that attaches, well, you unwind DNA, you have messenger RNA that attaches the DNA, makes a copy, and that goes on to your cellular, mm -hmm. to your cells to say, produce this protein. And so, and we also have little stops and starts, so there's different ways of turning on and off gene expression. So yes, in a way, what you just said, epigenetics is this whole science of gene expression turning on and off. And what things cause that to happen? Yeah. So, if everything goes well, then we figure out first of all that heat shocks protein is a good thing, and I would love to to explain just a little bit those. But before we go there, mm -hmm. so in order, let's say heat shock proteins are actually caused mainly by exercise and you know being exposed to heat and maybe certain balls in your head that creates stress. That then gives a message to all 100 trillion cells in the body or just like a part of maybe an area of the body and those cells do nothing else than but producing heat shock proteins is that what sort of happened well heat shock proteins come from inside cells and not necessarily all cells so it depends and the other thing is our information has to do with what questions we've asked yes so has everyone asked the right questions yet mm -hmm. no no mm -hmm. but according to the questions we've asked around exercise yes. around yes what happens is certain cells, maybe cells in your muscles, is where a lot of the heat shock protein stuff has come from. It's yeah. skeletal muscle versus, I think, in saw, it might have to do more with your smooth muscle, your autonomic muscles that mm. you don't think about firing on and off. So this is the, it's the layers of complexity really do bog your mind mm. when you start to, to look at the macro 
you know, vision of these interventions. And would we say we like heat shock proteins to be present? It depends, but you know, heat shock proteins get released from different stressors. What they do is they help protect certain proteins to keep them working well. Because proteins are very sensitive to the, to the conformation. They need to be in a special conformation to bind to receptors and to, this has gone way beyond the scope of what I were going to ask. This is, you know, but there's, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm doing it justice. You know, this is two years of biology course, you know, trying to be summarized. So I think I, I think I might be getting out of, yeah. That's all right. But, you know, overall, um, there could be some, some benefits from using heat shock proteins and their support proteins, whatever they're useful. Um, that, that, that support the body. So there could be certainly a positive impact by creating those through something. There could be. And, and the way I look at it is I think there's probably over a thousand genes that are getting affected. And heat shock proteins are one of these classes of genes. Wow. So again, I, it's, it's one of the pieces, mm -hmm. definitely. I think yeah. it's, a, it's a piece of a puzzle, but it's a piece of a puzzle we don't completely understand. I see. That makes sense. And actually, another thing I want to mention when we're talking about heat shock proteins, because another thing that heat shock proteins can affect, we think, yeah. is um, men's uh, um, testes and sperm production. So this doesn't get talked a lot about in the, mm. in the sauna, but there's a great Italian study that very elegantly showed, and there's a lot of study beforehand yeah. that backs that up that basically sperms, yeah, your sperm, the, the morphology, the um, activities of it, the gene, get totally altered by heat. Yeah, and I think because I, I learned that when you, I don't know, I don't know where I heard it, but you know, like when you wear briefs versus shorts, that there's, you know, that, that's not particularly good if, if, if there's not the natural regulation of how far, far they are away from the body and how, how well they cool, which leads me to think that if you get into a really hot environment, that might be a problem. Although, there are many people living in really hot, hot environments, does that mean that they have a problem reproducing or? See, yeah. these are good questions. But this Italian study is beautiful. It followed only, again, we're talking a small number yeah. of men. I think it was less than, less than 10 men or something. Mm -hmm. And they, maybe 13, but um, they, they checked their sperm mm -hmm. underneath the microscope yeah. and did all kinds of tests about the chromatin, so the DNA of the sperm and, and certain genes. They, yes. they targeted, I believe it was heat shock proteins that they looked at. Mm -hmm. And then they had the men do three months of, I think it was two times or three times a week sauna. And then three months later, they did the same thing. And they showed that, yes, that um, sperm weren't swimming as fast. They weren't, you know, they, their function was altered, very yeah. adversely altered. Uh -huh. But what's interesting, they didn't stop there. So they waited three months and had the men not sauna mm -hmm. and then revisited. And it had recovered by six months of time. It had partially recovered at three months, but six months after stopping the sun, it all it, it all came back to normal. So mm -hmm. this is a reversible change that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, and this was using a finished style song. Yeah. This hasn't been done with infrared yet, but I that's another one of those lovely <laughs> Judy, trials I, I'd love to do. Yeah, I need a whole lot. Yeah, we'll be in the department. Yes, I love that. <laughs> yes. Why do you think people are looking into saunas right now? Is it about the, the buzz and the, the expectation that some of the theories will be 
quantify it and, and say, yeah, it's good for detox. Or well, you saw that in your in your survey probably. Why do people actually use saunas? Yeah. Well, as I think we were discussing before, mm. that the, the top reasons people are using the saunas number one is relaxation. It's very. It's not very often in the study that you'll get a hundred percent saying the same thing, but they all said relaxation. This is over five hundred people all over the world. They all sauna to relax and relaxation happens in the sauna and those are almost two different things to ask but yes. that was pretty powerful because mm -hmm. that that's something we assume mm -hmm. but it's never really been demonstrated so that was an interesting finding mm -hmm. but what interested me so back pain and musculoskeletal pain were the two things that um, when people had a problem a health problem those were the top two problems that they used sauna for so pain relief But when I actually ask, why do you sun? Where are your motivations to sun? Relaxation um, and uh, de-stressing. And that's, stress is such a fascinating topic of, and, and I think you asked, why are people using sun? Well, I think life is getting more stressful. And we are, we're all searching for ways to reduce that stress. And I think sauna can provide that for many of us. Yeah. Uh, and then the third thing was pain relief. So, mm. and I think this whole idea of using sauna for pain relief is something that is still in its early stages. Yeah. But that's another area I would like to really study. Yeah. So I think certain, you know, way we don't completely understand how we sense pain, but I think uh, sauna bathing can affect that. Can yeah. Modulate that. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Raleigh Duncan was talking about um, the element P that indicates where there is uh, a problem with, with, with the pain element. And that his theory, and I don't know if that works, has been quantified in research either, and you probably know, um, through um, um, vessel dilation, you have more, which, which is caused through infrared saunas. I don't know if it's also caused through enormous ones. Um, at that moment, it flushes through the system and so these elements that indicate he has pain there's a problem and you know people can feel the hurt those elements are flushed out and at that moment the pain is reduced so there is actually a relief just because the messages for pain are not there doesn't mean that actually the problems are gone. Look, there's been some studies, but again, that's a, a bit reductionist, I think. Again, okay. it's very complex what's going on. And yes, I think mm. uh, whether it's the heat, whether it's, and there is vasodilation with both types of dry mm. saunas. We didn't okay. talk about wet saunas yet, steam saunas. And there's been some fascinating studies around steam saunas. And, and when you ask people, and I asked that in my global sauna survey, mm. some people are very partial to steam saunas, but it's, it's fascinating to me because It's been ele elegantly demonstrated that you don't sweat as much in a steam sauna. You feel like you are, mm -hmm. but all that sweat is actually condensed moisture because it's so humid in the environment. But obviously, if people are getting benefits from that, then that, that begs that the heat might be the, a more of an underlying player. But there are certainly some people that are much more partial than to a steam sauna. What's the temperature in then? Uh, good question. I think it varies. You know, mm. there's different cultural variations. Okay. There's the Turkish shaman. Yeah. There's, uh, it's, it varies, and the, and it's the steam sauna tends to be used a lot in sports settings. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not an expert on the steam sauna. Yeah, I'm yeah. More my dry sauna is more my interest. Yeah, but, yeah, same. But uh, mm. but good question. I mean, obviously, it's it, I think it's similar, but we also can't tolerate being 
in a steam sauna for as long because you've cut off your sweating. So sweating is our thermoregulatory response to heat. So that's why you can't last in steam sauna near as long as you can in a dry sauna. Yeah, right. Okay. And if we assume that a longer session is better than a shorter, then you want to go into the dry, maybe. That's where <laughs> I've been tending more towards dry, but yeah. No, and that's where sweating is fascinating. So there's sweat, and mm. then there's the act of sweating, which, you know, some <laughs> evolutionary biologists say it is what makes us top dog of the mammalian world because we're one of the few mammalian species that actually can thermoregulate while we're exerting ourselves maximally. Mm -hmm. So yes, we can't run faster than a cheetah, but we can outrun a cheetah because we can, we can sweat while we're running. Whereas a cheetah, yeah, it can go very fast and then it has to stop and pant oh. to lose it, to, to bring yeah. down its core body temperature. Whereas that was an, uh, that's an evolutionary advantage that we have. Amazing. Yeah. So, sweating's funny. We there's a lot of cultures that really have vilified sweating. When really, I think we should be embracing our sweating more. It's doing some pretty amazing things for our body. <laughs> so, and I hope I yeah, I hope I can uncover more. Yes, yes. Well, it's great that you also look into exercise because, of course, you sweat a lot when doing that. Interestingly. Mm -hmm. I'm finding people don't sweat as much when they exercise, at least at the same heart rates mm. and blood pressures as they do. But again, this is early days. I, I have to wait and see what my data shows. But that's preliminary-wise, I've been surprised. Yeah, I'm having troubles getting sweat off people yeah. exercising in the same types of uh, length of time yes. and length of intensity as you do when you're in a song. Yeah, right. Have you looked into um, the, the combination of exercise and, and having a sauna afterwards or something like that? Not so much. There is some research yeah. on that, but I, that hasn't been a huge area of my focus mm -hmm. yet, but I, I do suspect there's some synergies, synergies going on. Yeah. And there's been a few, again, small studies that have shown mm -hmm. some benefits, um, uh, better release of oxygen from your hemoglobin. There, there's some really wild and woolly studies out there that were fascinating to read, but yeah, yeah. They, they tend to publish the benefits. But that's another problem with sauna research is that we like to publish the benefits. We don't like to talk about when we get findings that are adverse. There's yeah. not a, you know, like this, that whole Italian study yes. hasn't gotten talked up enough. Yeah, or mobilizing toxin, toxins when you're pregnant or breastfeeding, that would be one that we always point out to our customers. Like, yeah. We'll be really aware of that. We don't, we can't quantify it. We can't tell how bad that is or if that is bad, but you know, like it would make sense that there is an there is research to demonstrate that breastfeeding is one of our most potent quote detox ways for women into no, the child into the breast milk yeah. and then into the no. child that's i know it's well let's let's hope that the children then can yeah much better detoxify whatever comes out of the mother well we hope but yeah there's been there's been some breast milk studies that show yeah quite high levels of some of these fat soluble toxins we were talking before right. so now, you know, is it in the amounts that are significant? Okay. Yeah, right. But yeah, there are some studies. Yeah, yeah. I was glad that I found that out after I breastfed. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's all right. Yeah, she yeah. seems to be okay. Yeah, she, yeah, she's surviving. One thing that I wonder whether you came across people that have, um, that can't sweat 
um, straight away when they go into saunas, but after a few sessions, and I have theories about it, but I can't quite remember what they are, but is there something that people almost have to relearn or reopen pores or whatever it is to get to the point again that they can sweat? Fascinating question. <laughs> and again, I have a hypothesis. Yes. I think getting sauna fit is the same, is very analogous to getting exercise fit. So for example, you know, you don't tell someone to go out there and run a marathon, they can't do it yet. Mm. So that's in, in essence what we're asking some people to do when their thermoregulatory system hasn't gotten used enough. So I, I have had many people say to me, oh, you know, I don't sweat in a sauna. Mm. Yeah, they might not sweat in that first one or it's hard, but after they've been doing it three months, gradually building up, suddenly they become sweaters. And I have heard that many times. So I think that whatever kind of uh, um, adjustment type metabolisms are happening, mm -hmm. I think it takes you know training. I think you need to sauna train. <laughs> so that's you know that's that's my answer. Yeah. That's my guess answer to that question. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so it's definitely real, right? Oh yeah, no, there's but and I think we all kind of, you know based on where we're born, mm -hmm. what kind of thermal you know exposures we've had we all have different and our insight and our um, internal responses too mm -hmm. which is you know epigenetically and genetically determined all play factors again this is a big puzzle yeah. and we, we we like to reduce things to one of the two of the pieces but to look at that whole puzzle is awesome <laughs> <laughs> and i can't wait as we're filling yes. certain parts of it yeah. when do you expect some of your research to be published do you know i'm hope well the Global Sauna Survey got published this mm. year. The clinical, um, looking at all the clinical studies that have been done on sauna that, uh, that meet a certain criteria mm -hmm. of evidence was published the year before. I've done, I've published a little bit on sweat content. That was about three years ago. I'm hoping my current study will get published next year. Oh, but yeah, I'm just get, I'm still collecting data now. So. Mm -hmm. And it's been fascinating. <laughs> I know you have looked into cardiovascular um, health in relationship to saunas. So why is there an effect? Have you seen, have you, have you figured out why um, there, there's something happening to the heart when we go into eat? Good question. It's that area, and again, it's that single session mm -hmm. versus multiple sessions. Okay. So there's been studies that look at uh, one session mm -hmm. of sauna, and most of them have been finished. Yeah. Uh, you, you definitely see um, changes in your, your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, um, but your vascular resistance, you get a, a more vasodilation that happens. So vasodilation meaning like it, it, it actually the, the the blood vessels themselves open up, or is right. the pressure that increases so that they... A little bit of both. Oh, little little yeah. Yeah. And what metabolites modulate that is still an area of research. Uh, there's been a lot on nitric oxide. So perhaps mm. nitric oxide is a very potent vasodilator inside our, our blood vessels. Maybe heat is increasing. There's been some studies that show yeah. that endothelial, endothelial nitric oxide synthetase levels go up. So that's that gene expression of making more nitric oxide. So perhaps, but well, we didn't, you know, again, it's still, is it heat shock proteins that induce that? We don't know. But yeah, certainly around a single session of sauna, you can see certain physiological characteristics, but you know, that's still getting debated. Like for example, we didn't really stress the fact that blood pressure goes up so much inside a sauna. 
till just a, a really nice research study came out just this year that demonstrated, guess what? Your, your blood pressure goes up quite a bit. Um, and then it's after sauna bathing that all the benefits, that's when you really open up. So the stressor of being in a sauna is, is like running that marathon. Mm. And it's, it's, that's what makes me think it's doing it repeatedly and getting training with mm. it and getting these mechanisms flowing that ends up with the health benefits. But you know, this is all still being studied. Wow. And, and this also brings another question of who shouldn't sauna bathe? Yes. And that, we don't know the full answer to that. And that's a big hurdle before we can get it out, especially in hospital settings or aged care settings where I'd like to see mm, a lot more sorry. Exactly. But we need, to, we need to ask that question and answer it more fully than it has been. Right now it's all been, it's just been antidotal. Oh yes, someone with aortic stenosis shouldn't sauna bathe, but, but we haven't actually studied what is it? You know, is it people who have very low blood pressure? Mm -hmm. Is it because their blood pressure drops even more? I mean, what we do know is alcohol, and if you have too much alcohol uh, during a sauna, that can be a, a lethal mix. So when they looked at, <laughs> when they looked at deaths in, in Eastern Europe yeah. and, and Northern Europe, Yes, sauna bathing with alcohol, especially large amounts, and sauna bathing alone are two things that are quite risky. And it was funny because I just heard some sauna precautions recently saying, oh, you should never drink alcohol while you sauna. And I was thinking to myself about when I went to Sweden and Finland and Washington, I said, try telling that to people who've been sauna bathing their whole life, and they, you know, a beer is what they have as soon as they come out. You know, yeah. this, this, no, this, this isn't evidence-based yet, you know. But there is some, you know, we do should be mindful of that. And then again about this sperm, you know, does mm -hmm. that mean fertility is affected? Well, a lot of the Finns that I talked to, poo-poo, they said, we don't have a fertility problem, so obviously mm -hmm. sauna must not be affected. But I'm like, that's not quite the scientific way to look at it. You know? <laughs> so, but I think those, you know, that needs further study. And, and uh, right now we tend to be very phobic around cardiac conditions. But yet, all this research is showing benefits in the cardiovascular system. So that's where I think we need to further make some definitions, get a sense of what are the, who shouldn't sauna and who, but who could benefit. Yeah. And these are also the people who can't exercise. And I think if mm. we look at studies uh, of these same sick populations and get them to try and exercise, of course, there's risks there too. Mm. But we have to look at sauna fairly and realize we just need to know where those lines are so we can draw them and yeah. like, get the people who could benefit in the, in the sauna. And that's a, something we haven't even talked about are the social effects of sauna. Fantastic. You know, yeah, no, neither have I thought about it already. Oh, oh yeah, well, one of my colleagues down in Sydney, um, Jack Saunas, mm. That's his whole focus of study, is looking at the social interactions around sauna. Uh, specific at that? Not social so He's a social scientist, and, yes. and he is fascinated. That's what he studies. Super. And in fact, we're trying to maybe get together and do a study around sleep, because didn't talk about that, but in my mm. sauna study, people said not only did they sleep better, and this was about two-thirds of people said sleep better, but more than one night, that it would last for through two nights okay. in general. Which again makes you stop and go, well, is it just the heat? I don't know. It's gotta be it's gotta be triggering some mechanisms that last longer than just your response to to that one episode of heat. So so we're fat we we wanna do a sleep study. You know, I would love to have people wear the sleep stuff, you know, track them for a week after doing 
some regular song. So yeah, I think it'd yeah. be fascinating. I, I use some wherever, how do you call this? Oh, the aura ring? Yeah, and, and oh. I, one reason for that is because more and more people are interested in, I guess, having a little bit better handle on their, on their data, on their, on their own performance of the body. Um, you know, whether this is accurate or not is another question, but it can assist you or, or your, your, your medical guy, whoever that might be, you know, doing some yes, analysis so. how you go. And I mean, you know, the string does tell you, look, you know, you're looking, you're looking a little bit off and, you know, I have the feeling you should sleep a little, little bit longer tomorrow because, you you know, you really don't have the energy. And I would love to just indicate whenever I have a sauna and then, you know, run that data through through a correlation whether that, you know my sleep is different i've never thought actually about that but I, I would love to see that more happening because quantifying these things would be great yeah Damn. and look i think that's you you're wearing a biofeedback device and that's the other thing i mean one of the things we think about with saunas is it is it is altering our autonomic responses and you can use those to track heart rate variability Mm-hmm. Definitely been seeing some mm. some research around that, and just anecdotal people like yourself who are playing with their mm-hmm. their data. It is play, yeah. Yeah, and look, mm. we're all individualized, so I think that is how we've got to look at it. Mm. So good on you. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hear yeah, futurists will talk about that more and more, and say like you know there is a need from people to wanting to own more their data and, and wanting to know more. But I think there's also, because it's not as expensive anymore, that, you know, a measure device of this type or, you know, who knows, maybe sweat devices eventually will also get to the point where people can just check. Like you can now do a DNA test or micro... Uh, yes, or this microbiome test. Yes, exactly. And look, you're bringing up a really good point. I mean, our model, our scientific rigor model, mm. these randomized controlled trial, mm. we're looking at population-based changes, mm. not looking at individual. And that's where this microbiome revolution is turning that upside down and saying, look, yes, randomized controls trials, especially when you have thousands, mm-hmm. leads you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But we're not being as focused as we could be now. The technology is there to be more focused. I want to compare bananas to bananas. I don't want to just know what works for bananas in this sea of apples and bananas and mm-hmm. pears. You know, I want people that you know, with the same type of, we need to get more detail. Yeah. We have the technology and we're just not, we're not organized yet enough. It's <laughs> happening, it is happening. Yeah. And I think it's in, it's starting to own your individual health data that is part of that, yeah. part of that revolution. Just for fun, let's just come back to the social effects of saunas. Okay. So is there any theory what, what they might be, the social effects? Well, look, quality of life indicators yeah. have been done in many different saunas studies and they all show benefits, no question. So what is happening? Um, Good question. I mean, some of these studies looked at people just sauna bathing by themselves versus sauna bathing in a group. And and there's even an American academic who does this thing called sweat therapy, uses saunas and and uses sweating together as part of the modality. And is this communications that are going on between sweat like we were talking about? Or is this just people all collectively relaxing? Yeah. You know, this is all stuff yeah. to be explored. Yeah. And sweat lodges, you know, having been around for, for thousands, years, thousands of years. years, you know, they are really intentional, yeah. used also to, I guess, clear your mind or certainly alter your perception of, of certain things. And yeah. Definitely. And, you know, you, when you start talking to people, sometimes you can have a bad sweat lodge experience. Is that because okay. of other people's sweat? Yes. Or is that because of yeah. where you're in a 
the again, all these these are all variables that will be fascinating to consider. But uh, definitely, when I started sauna bathing in Alaska, there was a culture around it. It was yeah. the social benefits I was getting out of it, not just the health benefits. Yes. But it took me a long time to figure out the health benefits. I, I got the social benefits straight away. I mean, that's that used to be our in wintertime. That was our way of all coming together. We usually sauna and then have a nice potluck meal yeah. afterwards. Yeah, and yeah. It was. Oh, I grew up like that too. Even as teenagers, we would do that and. I like to go to the you know to the sauna center or to it not softly a part of a gym or something like that and they or, or um, sort of a, a spa environment you know swimming pool environment and in northern Germany it's very normal to go there um, after work you know and so for them it's um, it's a way to socialize and I think maybe it's even not a good idea to give them you know the sauna because they would actually stay home rather than socialize plus you know they really enjoy going out and, yeah well you spurred two thoughts with this first. We've got to talk about Ofkus. I mean, if we're going to talk about the social yes. effects of sauna, we've got to talk about Ofkus. Okay. So, do you know about Ofkus? Yeah, you put, put water onto. Um... No, that's loyal. No, no, Ofkus is this whole performance that goes on in public saunas. And I believe started in Germany. I think mm. Ofkus is the German. Right. But it is. It is wild in Europe right now. And when I went to the International Sauna <laughs> Congress, oh my gosh, the off-coast. That's where yeah. I think a lot of the young, younger sauna bathers are coming out of, is this whole uh, performance. So the off-coast is this person who, who uses a towel or other implement okay. to yes. circulate the hot air in a, in a large-ish sauna, you know, mm-hmm. something that sits more than 10 people. Mm-hmm. I think though I've heard of really large ones in Berlin, but um, and it's, it's a performance, but it, it involves the people that are in the sauna. So what I experienced was amazing. I mean, I, it, was a, it was a women-only one that I went to when I was in Sweden, and there were questions, like deep philosophical questions that were directed to different people, and it was, it, it reminded me of the sweat lodge experience. It was mm-hmm. just full on, it was very philosophical, but there I was sweating with these other <laughs> women, you know? So, and also, you know, whether clothes are on, clothes are on, this is always a debate that gets talked about. Mm-hmm. And in Australia, you know, the first thing people look at me when I say, oh, I saw a bit regulate, you know, they, they're like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, does that mean sex in the sauna? And that's another question that always gets asked. And, huh? and actually that was a finding in my study that was, a little bit touchy to have to deal with is that um, you know there nearly a third of people did say that sexual intent was part of their what motivated them to sauna, which I was sauna. quite shocked by. Because it's so <laughs> more because it's so hot and it doesn't feel like that's yeah the topic that would come to mind yeah. first when well, you're in such an environment. But anyway, there's a lot third. of literature around yeah. who have sex with men. That's where mm. they eat their party. Mm. There's all there's layers to this. So this yes. so the socializing around sauna is quite intricate and complex. Fascinating. Yeah. Who would have guessed? Yeah, so I you know yeah. it, it, it was hard. I had to fight hard to even ask the sex question in the in the actual survey because ethics was on me saying, Oh, <laughs> that's very private and we don't ask them. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. you know? wow. So finally I was able to get it and yeah. I had to sanitize it. Oh my gosh, if you look at the question, it's like ridiculous. But but I finally got it through and it and so I, I think a lot's going on. You know, whether it is the you know, whether it is the scant of clothing and, and in many parts of you know, many parts of Europe you don't wear clothing no. when you go in. No. But you know, every country, every nation, every 
some pocket has a different way, subculture of song. Mm -hmm. you know? There's some that uh, always keep the genders separate. There are others where it's always mixed. I mean, there's all these. There's all these different avenues to songbait. So, <laughs> yeah, what's going on? We don't know. But going back to your question about well, what's going on socially? No question of quality of life indicators have always been demonstrated to be elevated, and that's even in chronic pain populations, chronic fatigue populations. And a lot of these studies are done in Japan and Korea. So there's no question that quality of life indicators go up with regular song data. But how and what's the mechanism? Wow, so, that's fascinating. Yeah, it is. By the way, of course, it's a German word. It means pour on. But um, of course, in that context, it means more than obviously just pouring on. Water, oh, you've you got it. Sebastian, <laughs> you have got to check out that. There was the Ofkos World Championships. It's every September in, in Germany. You've got to Holy start to cow. check it out. And it's not just men, it's men and women. And there's some pretty awesome women of mm. us out there. Yeah, so you, oh, you've got you to gotta check that out. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I think that's something, sure, it, that whole, I think it's something that could be modulated for infrared too. Mm. Uh, you know, so I said there were two things that your ideas burned me on. Another is the elderly. Uh, we often tell, you were mentioning to your parents, and I don't know how old your parents are, but a lot of the elderly are very afraid to step into a sauna mm -hmm. because of the, the cardiac scares and things. Yeah. When I think actually they're a population that may actually benefit a lot and for the social aspects. So I think, you know, creating larger dry saunas in aged care facilities. Yes, I would love to see that, I think. To pe bring people together and get some of those cardiovascular benefits mm -hmm. and anti-Alzheimer benefits. That's something I think I didn't mention. But, no. You know, Yari Lakanen in his F long yes. epidemiological study, fewer cases of Alzheimer's by, mm -hmm. you know, by nearly a third if you sauna bathe that four times a week or wow. more. And that was in men and women. So. There's something going on, yeah. you know, there's some life-enhancing mechanisms going on that we need to we need to understand better and implement mm. as part of our health maintenance. Yeah. And, and this, the, the tradition of saunas has been around so long in most countries, or in most cultures, which really indicates, well, there's something in for everyone, otherwise it wouldn't have survived and become so big. Again. Yes, I agree with that. But moving, yes, I want to see it in the future. That's yes, what it, yeah, that's what it, exactly. And actually, you're making a good point. We think of Europe, we think of Northern Europe, we. But the other thing in my survey I found is that in Australia and America, they are using more infrared, mm -hmm. a more percentage of infrared than mm -hmm. traditional, as opposed to Europe. There's certain pockets of Europe, like England, that are more welcoming to infrared but in general there's been a real polarizing of where but you know infrared has some advantages in that it's more affordable usually it's uh it's usually easy it's uh it's easier it can plug into the wall you don't have to have special electrics for a lot of time so there are advantages that i think need to be need to be uh, a light shine on that and uh, but at the same time recognizing that the larger ones, the, the trouble with infrared is you would need quite a lot of to have a large Yeah, one. yeah, like for, for the traditional Finnish saunas are easily built very large yeah. and infrared saunas because you need to be fairly close to the heaters. Yeah. Um, 
and, and they're not the heaters are not really made to warm up the space. Quite so. I mean, when you think of um, hot yoga, you yeah. know, Bikram yoga, they, it's usually infrared. Yes. Yeah. At least all the studios mm -hmm. I've seen so far have been infrared, but you know, they're only aiming for 40 degrees, whereas you know, we want a threshold of 60 usually mm. for the studies that we see around infrared. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think about the survey that you did that, that sort of sprang out? Oh, I could keep <laughs> right. you busy for five hours, yeah. you know what? But no, no, I would love if, unfortunately, it's behind a paywall. That's the trouble with mm. research. Okay. It won't be freely available to read yeah. uh, for another year. It's usually oh, okay. 12 months. Oh, I so, know yes. yeah, I had, a, I had a, a complimentary time for the first month, but after that now. So, I'd love it. It'll be on the Sauna Science yeah. Facebook. I will definitely post. It's been posted, but it's no longer. Yeah, you can't access it now, yeah. but you will next year. Mm. So. And, you, and you do have a summary that you put together of, of your survey as well. Yeah, right. in fact, I gave you a. Yes, and, I, and that has been posted on certain research mm -hmm. networks, but. Um, but maybe I need to post that on the Facebook site. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try to do that Yeah. Right. Oh, this was really interesting. I have a few more questions that I actually didn't, didn't tell you in advance about, but they're very really simple. Okay. Um, just from a perspective of what you what gets you out of bed every morning, what would you say is number one reason? Well, um, definitely, I think this PhD and wanting to get its a message out that there are lifestyle options that that are endless. Mm -hmm. And I think sauna bathing represents one of these. It's mm -hmm. very accessible that we just haven't been able to organize around yet. Yeah. And I think I know from talking to a lot of my patients, especially if you get diagnosed with any type of um, medical condition, you don't want to be taking five, seven pills, which is our norm for yeah. how the medical establishment has been treating a lot of chronic disease, especially. So we need to be exploring. I think the Australian Society of Lifestyle Medicine is a really good avenue that's trying to say, let's look at the food we eat, let's look at our activity levels, let's look at other things. So what gets me up right now, I want salmon. I think <laughs> and high up on the list, not yeah. you know, not just mentioned. Mm -hmm. You know, it needs to be presented in a package that people can look at and and adapt for yeah. themselves. And we're just not there yet, but we're getting there. So yes, that gets me up. That gets me going. <laughs> and what are the three favorite things in life that you love to do? Three favorite things. Yeah. Well, I obviously love my family. Yes. I, I like spending time with them. Um, and I do like sauna bathing, so that's in there too. And I, and I do like to exercise too. So mm -hmm. I, I'm definitely coming from someone who loves to walk in nature. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I, I definitely like walking more. Mm -hmm. one more for you. Why do you think we exist? Oh, I think, I think we were planted here by aliens. We have we are the aliens. Yeah, I think we are the aliens. <laughs> and you two only live one life. I'm more actually, you know. I don't pretend to know the answer to that. My no. feeling is I think we're when I look at science, especially mm. here I am. I'm a scientist. Yeah. Nothing just ends. Everything is recycled. Mm -hmm. So I think our energies are recycled too. Do can I tell you what that is? Of How course is not. It? I have no idea, <laughs> but I do think. 
I do think our energy got here from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why it's so important that we protect our planet right now mm -hmm. because we are, we've always just been visitors. This is my feeling. Yeah, but, right. but you're getting into, you know, spiritual oh, philosophical yeah. realms. <laughs> that's not the research. No, that's not your personal opinion, yeah. but you know. I, yeah, yeah I, I'm definitely, I feel, yeah, I feel like we are, we're only, we didn't just come to be, is my feeling. Mm. We're recycled, we're all recycled. Any idea why? Oh, that's like looking up in the sky and trying to decide where's the end of the universe. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's it definitely kept me awake at every time <laughs> looking up there, being awestruck. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I like that idea thing, is it? Yeah. Yeah, it means we really look after the house that you use, is it? Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's an even another dimension about sauna is how to make saunas more greener. That's yes. That is, uh, mm -hmm. I, I feel we should be able to figure out a way to make solar saunas. I mean, I, right. I'm not a, a chemical, mm -hmm. I'm not the engineer yes. that can do that, but I know it's coming. Mm -hmm. You know, so that way we can make our saunas more, you know, more neutral in terms yeah. of consumption and output. Because you know, even these smoke saunas that are so popular right now in Finland. Yeah. We're still producing mm. an emission that is that we need to be cutting down on. So, and that goes with almost any type of sauna. So, uh, yes, figuring out how to harness that um, and recycling the energy that goes in the sauna. Mm. Actually, it reminds me of a very interesting paper that was looking at Finnish architectural designs where they were using the heat of the sauna, counting on people using the sauna and using that, ducting that heat right. to heat. Yeah. Um, these closed environments, and I thought, you know, that's the kind of thinking yeah. we need to be yeah. thinking about how we can. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm, thanks for that. Yeah. Food for thought. Have, have, have a think about that. Something that we manufacture that. Yeah. Yeah, and saunas produce, I mean, we can use something like that heat energy, not just let it dissipate into mm. the environment. I mean, I haven't seen enough of how to do mm. that, but I think that would be absolutely fascinating mm. avenues to explore, too. Mm. Well, thank you very much for coming and spending so much time with us and asking all these amazing questions, giving all this this, this information and um, yeah, more food for thoughts and more questions. I well, thank you for asking the questions because <laughs> that's the first step. We've got to ask those questions. Yeah, yeah. So, I love to be and I love being here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to have you on again if you, if you would and um, you know see where we research leads you. Yeah. Definitely. I hope I have more yeah, more please. findings to to, get, to talk about. Yeah. Well, yeah. so thank you very much for coming. Thanks. <laughs> guys thank you so much for listening to the sauna show my name is sebastian miro and this episode was sponsored by clearlight jacuzzi saunas the world's leading provider of superior quality full spectrum infrared saunas you can find more information and resources for this podcast at thesaunashow.com all one word or on instagram at thesaunashow please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with friends until next time, have the best day ever.